see you. Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in. Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday, December 12th edition of the show on 94.3 The Game. We're live on YouTube, live on Facebook as well, and Twitter, and live on 94.3 The Game. And it may be mid-December, but it's never too early to talk some ECU baseball. We've got pitching coach Austin Knight. He is our in-studio guest today. Coach, yeah. how's it going? Going great, man. I appreciate yeah. you having me. Uh, December baseball is is not a common thing, but I'm excited to talk about some baseball today. We were just talking. You guys are playing some pickleball to, to kill some time, yeah. so you guys are, are still co- uh, competing even though no baseball right now. Yeah, that's the, the best field. part about yeah. it, honestly, is we get out there and start yelling at each other a little bit. But, you know, during December, is like I was just telling you off air, it's really the, the first month of, of the year where where there's no recruiting, there's no coaching, there's no, uh, you know, other than just keeping up with our players and our recruits, um, there's more free time. And so we try to find things to, to fill the time. And so we've been going out during the lunch hour and, and getting after it a little bit and probably think we're a lot better than we actually are. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun. That's all part of it, Coach. You got to, you know, you got to get that confidence going in December before January hits. <laughs> and, right. and then the grind hits. Uh, but, no, that's, that's great. And we'll, so we got – a lot of questions on hoistacolors.net we'll get through throughout the uh, the next hour. I've been joking, too, with you, Coach. I've been trying to get you in here what, since the very end of the season. You've been a little busy recruiting and everything, yeah, but we finally got you. The, the summer is tough. You know, we're, we're gone pretty much for two months straight. Um, and I've been excited, obviously, to come over here and talk to you. It's not like I've been avoiding <laughs> you, I promise. Um, but I'm excited to be here for sure. But uh, it, it's not a better time, not a better hour I'd rather spend with anybody oh, yeah? else. I don't know if I believe that, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it either way. All right, Coach, so you guys wrapped up fall ball a little bit ago, you know, a few, a few I guess a month or so ago now. And just kind of let's start there. How would you assess the fall? You know, you have pitchers kind of – a, your top guys are kind of taking it slow because they've thrown a lot. You got young guys you're trying to develop. You got freshmen who are trying to figure out how to survive at this yeah. level. So, how would you kind of assess the fall? Overall? Yeah, I think it was kind of the, the typical fall when it comes to those things. Um, some good, some bad, uh, some inconsistent, some very consistent. Like you said, I mean, Trey, Trey Savage and Zach Root and uh, Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman and Jake Hunter, all those guys got started up a little bit later uh, than everybody else just because they pitched during the summer. And they needed some rest time uh, throughout the calendar year. And so you got to see a lot of, of young pitchers kind of extend more, which is, I think, the benefit of that is seeing what those guys can do and uh, seeing what they're all about. And then you get to put some other guys who, who maybe have pitched in, you know, middle relief or in relief roles and, and see if they can start and see what they can do uh, from that standpoint. So I think a lot of, of benefits come came from the fall but um i liked where we ended up you know where, where we ended up after after the purple gold world series where we ended up after mission week and different things like that um and like the group that we have on both sides of the ball third year going into the third year of your your true pitching coach mm-hmm. series but you've been here what this will this be year be five the, or six yeah year five okay. including the COVID year okay so which we all want to forget about yeah of course um <laughs> was that your first year 
going yes. to COVID? Yes, that was my Gosh. first year. Um, and so, you know. What a way to start. Well, what, exactly. <laughs> what a way to start. And, and it was kind of crazy how that all happened because I was at Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. And the year that spring, we actually, our, our stadium had just got destroyed in a tornado. Right. And so, um, you know, you're off that summer. I'm not looking to leave or anything. I loved it there. Um, but... Coach Godwin called me at the end of August, right before we were about to start school, and told me that Hunter Allen was leaving to go to Greensboro and, and asked me if I was interested. And I was like, hey, yes, because, you know, last summer I was sitting on the couch watching you guys play in Super Regionals and Regionals. And I'm like, absolutely, I'm definitely interested. And then came up here and, and took a quick visit and told him yes immediately as soon as I sat down in his office and went home and, and packed my apartment and hit the road and and, uh, and was here without even a place to, to live yet. So it was a, a, a neat deal but yeah that first year was the COVID year so it turned out to be a pretty good move even though you had some obviously some trials and tribulations as everybody did that year and so when you came here as the the the, that assistant role did you foresee yourself getting into pitching coaching specifically because you have been a catcher and we talked about it you know we'll get into that as well being a catcher helps you a lot with pitchers Mm -hmm. and then you started working with coach Dietrich uh you know during his one year here as as well did you kind of foresee yourself going on this path or just kind of happen yeah I I did and when I first got into coaching I just wanted my hands in everything and kind of see what I what I enjoyed and what I was good at to be honest with you um and then I actually come from a background my dad was a left-handed pitcher pitched professional baseball he's a high school coach for 27 years and so pitching was always in the background he's always talking about pitching my dad was always researching trying to get better at, at training pitchers and uh you know you go from that into a system at Ole Miss that is all they've always had good arms and they've always uh done things very uh structured and and you get out and you, you kind of start learning about yourself and working with different people and and my first actual opportunity to really work with pitchers um I was at Arkansas Little Rock and a guy named Mike Silva, who was our pitching coach at the time. Now he's the head coach at Nickel State, but he came in and had a very innovative mind and, and it was kind of the driveline days before driveline was a big thing and kind of diving into some of that stuff and learning about it. I was very intrigued about it. Um, and then I got to go up into the, the it coached in the Cape Cod League and I was pitching coach up there for, for two summers. And so uh, that's kind of when I started realizing, man, I, I like this. Uh, it's, it's different than, you know, coaching catchers and being comfortable. So I want to learn as much as I can about about this and uh, you know see, see what we can do and so every stop along the way I've, I've worked with the pitchers up until I got to East Carolina and of course you know coach Dietrich being a mentor of mine and and he let you know at that point a young kid who probably uh, had a hard head come in and, and you know try to try to work through him and and uh, pick his brain and work with pitchers and have some different ideas and uh, ultimately it led to coach Godwin giving me the opportunity to be the pitching coach here which I can't be more grateful for and you were a catcher at Ole Miss, so Cliff Goblin was an assistant during that time as well. So what was it like being – uh, coached by Cliff Godwin, did he coach catchers directly at Ole Miss? Oh, yeah. And what was that oh, experience yeah. like? So he'll tell you, <laughs> but um, he was my academic coach. He was my catching coach. He was my hitting coach. Um, and obviously, I'm not sitting here today without him. But uh, it, it was it was tough at first when you're a freshman and you're you're trying to learn your footing, and uh, you got this guy who is just on your tail <laughs> all the time about. We've everything. seen him coach. Uh, 
the catchers of practice. He yeah, gets that's right. And so you, you first get into it, and you think you're probably better than you actually are when you get into to college. And me myself, especially because I was an average player. You know, don't, let's not get that uh, confused. I was an average player, and so that first fall, I was just trying to, I was just trying to stay alive. Right. right? I'm just trying to keep my head above water, and this guy's on me all the time about everything, academics. He's calling me. Like I remember some mornings we had to go out and do board pushes because, you know, academics weren't where they needed to be, and uh, he's on you all the time. But and then after that, just the respect grew for him because I realized that he just really, really cares. He just really, really cares about his players and wants them to be the best, best version of themselves. And you know, that's where I really learned how to work hard and be accountable for for everything, really. And so, um, ultimately, you know, ten years ago, I didn't know I was going to be sitting here today, but obviously, uh, things worked out for the for the for the good for both of us. So, what does it mean to in Ole Miss tremendous, you know, baseball yeah. environment tradition? Clearly, ECU, you know, similar in a lot of ways to, you know, to 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 be a part of this here and to you know to play at a place like Ole Miss and now to be on staff with with Cliff Galvin here and yeah to be somewhere where baseball matters like what does that yeah. mean as a, as a coach and a player? Absolutely, it's um it's really the number one thing when you talk about being able to win at this level to impact kids the way that you want to to recruit the way that you need to. The game has to be important, you know, and uh, I've been places where it's not as important and I've seen places I've heard stories from people where it's not as important. And so having that support and the environment that we have, man, is is crucial. It's crucial. It's crucial to be able to send videos to kids when you're recruiting them and say, hey, man, this is what you're going to be playing in front of. And we're, we're working to win a national championship and you're going to get to play in front of this and pitch in front of this on Friday nights. And, you know, you're going to have all these these people are going to say hey to you when you go uh, out to dinner and, and all those things. And, um, you know, that's a part the reason why our kids love it here so much but of course our coaches love it here so much you know you can you can count on that in the spring um is that you're going to have a very loyal fan base that cares about the game and uh like i said it's it's the most important thing when it comes to uh the the programs i want to know how many other radio stations have a pitching coach in the college ranks on december 12th uh (laughs) because clearly baseball matters here so i mean otherwise we wouldn't have you on and we wouldn't have 25 questions to answer as we go through this show that's right uh is we got we got some awesome questions uh before we get into that i do want to ask how comforting is it maybe the the right word uh to have trey savage back and zach roots two guys at least you can count on now they still have a lot of work to put in to become the, the finished product but as a as a college coach as a pitching coach to have two guys with their talent level their upside i know has to make you feel pretty good. Yeah, you feel good about going into the season and having those guys at the front end. I think what gives you more comfort than what they did last year and their talent is that like Trey Savage is the hardest worker on our team and he is only looking to get better every single day. And it's not too often when you have guys like that who are ultra talented and prospects but are also the hardest workers on the team and also are great leaders within your program and are challenging people to get better every single day. And like I think, you know, with Root, Root's taking a big jump in the fact that, you know, last year he came in super talented and, and kind of rested on his talent alone. He still worked hard, but not nearly as hard as he has worked this year. And those guys have been really like they've been challenging each other. You know, I think there's been a good uh, a good competition between the two for you know who's going to pitch on Friday, who's going to be Saturday, whatever it is. And they've both pitched outstanding, and they've both gotten a lot better. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing is that yeah, it's comforting on paper to say Trey Savage is your Friday night starter. Then you have a talented uh, sophomore who started a lot for you the year before. But I think what's more comforting is how they go about their business every single day and the. De- 
the the attention to detail that they have when they're when they're going through their work and they're throwing programs and their bullpens and just the the expectations that they have for themselves because it's one thing that I have high expectations for themselves but whenever you've got high expectations within a staff and people are holding each other to that standard then man you get you got something pretty special so we had Cliff Godwin in here recently and, and he'll say you know as always the player-led programs as as much as he leads for sure and you guys mm-hmm. the staff lead the player-led programs can be the most special so is that something too as a pitching coach you kind of have to delegate you, you obviously set the tone but you have to delegate out to the players and the leaders like them to kind yeah. of set the set the tone in Ab- other ways absolutely and that's what you want anyway you know i i think with the pitching staff they're spending so much time together it, it's basically a team within a team to a certain extent and you have to have leaders of the pitching staff and you know coach blackman helps me on the pitching side of things but um you know there's still 20 pitchers there's still 20 pitchers and uh some days they'll be doing their throwing program we'll have bullpen going on on one session we'll have some guys doing some uh you know pfps or pickoff work or whatever and so you have to have leadership within the position group or else things are going to go to the wayside and so it's more than just you know trey and root it's like wyatt lunsford shinkman is a great leader Jaden winter is a great leader you know guys of that jake hunter is a great leader we have a lot of guys within our program who are great leaders and then you know all that does is for the younger guys is say man like i want to be like that one day and so they want to be leaders within a program. And that's where, you know, we talk about culture, but culture is, is built. And over time, the players are the ones that instill it every year. You know, we, we'll talk about it and to show them what, you know, great examples of this are. But it's on the players to, to truly take hold of what the standard is and hold it to the highest level. He's Austin Knight, East Carolina pitching coach. Let's get our first break in. We will come back. We will answer some of your questions, or at least attempt to. Uh, we'll get into some of those. We've got a lot of good ones on Hoist the Colors. If you got any more on YouTube, Facebook, drop those as well. We'll get to them up to 1 o'clock with our visit with Coach Knight. All right, we'll be right back. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Pitching coach Austin Knight is in studio. Visiting with us, we'll have Jeff Palumbo next Monday. We had Cliff Godwin a few weeks ago, so we're getting y'all on, Coach, before Media Day. We're, this is your preparation for Media Day in yes. January. How and, about that? And Coach Palumbo is going to be probably more entertaining than me, I would have to guess. <laughs> we'll you know, we'll have to get the uh, the fans' opinion. The rates, uh, who's more entertaining between you, Cliff, and Palumbo? How about that? <laughs> we got to get the new hitting ki- coach on as well. You should, Coach Lartig. Yeah. So. Oh, he's he's awesome. I've obviously known Coach Lartig yeah. for a long time. We'll go way back and and. He is a, a very, very smart human being, and our guys obviously love having him and, and, and Coach Packard around. That's right, those Coach guys, Packard. Those guys, now he'll be entertaining. Oh, no, my goodness. <laughs> you know, those guys bring some some great, you know, I say youthful like I'm old, but youthful right. energy, that, uh, and they're both very smart and relate with those guys. So I, I'm excited that those guys are here. We'll have to get them all on. How about that? We'll try, yeah. try our best. All right, awesome night. Let's get to some of these questions. And some of this stuff I was honestly going to ask you, but you know, I, we, we do this show for the fans who so always say, hey, as long as the fans give us good, fair questions, and uh, it's the offseason, so nobody's too mad at you yet, Coach. <laughs> so we, 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 can, we can try to get uh, these questions in and maybe expand the conversation as well. Uh, somebody on Hoist of Colors wants to know, who are the top candidates to be the Sunday and midweek starters? So, again, this is December 12th. I yeah. want to clarify a lot of competition to go, but at this point, like, do you have guys in mind who could compete for those roles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there is a combination of 
uh, four or five guys that you could see. Um, right now, if we play Friday and Saturday and we had one game to win on Sunday and I had any pick of the litter, I would throw Wyatt Lunch for Chinkman 100%. He's, he is, man, he has been really impressive this fall. He's, he's improved a ton and the stuff's gotten better and he's been more consistent in his, his arm slide and the way the ball is moving metrically and all those different things. He's been so much more consistent. He's throwing a ton of strikes. Um, now that's a heck of a bullpen arm, right? And the likelihood of us getting through Friday or Saturday without using him is probably pretty slim. And so uh, more realistically, you have you know, Jake Hunter is an option. He's been outstanding this fall and has really gotten better. Uh, his pitch mix is better. Obviously, his fastball has always been good. Um, but he's added, you know, a cutter slider, a uh, quote-unquote sweeper slurve hybrid, and a, uh, a split change as well. And so you're talking about four-pitch mix that he's throwing in the strike zone at a higher rate. And the stuff has improved a lot. You know, just the velocity has improved a lot since – it's kind of in the middle of the season. He starts throwing the ball 92 to 95 miles I was an hour. Surprised. And you're like, yeah, that's that's great coaching right there. But, we, we thought but, the, we but, thought the gum was broken. When yeah, we were me TV. too. Me too. I was, I'm joking. Like I, right. me and Jake sit there together and we're like, what happened? I, was like, I have no idea. And he's like, I don't either. And so that's, uh, that'll give you a look behind the curtain a little bit. Sometimes uh, the best things just kind of, uh, they'll surprise you, you know? Um, but he's been really good. Chris Kaler, the transfer from George Washington had, had, you know, a a pretty good fall at the end. He got sick and it wasn't as good at the, towards the end of the fall, but early on, he, you know, he's a guy you can look up and he can eat four or five, six innings on, on 65, 70 pitches. And you'll be like, hopefully looking at a two hour game, you know? And so, uh, when he's at his best, he has really good four pitch mix and can execute and really command the ball to, to wherever he needs to. Obviously, uh, Ethan Norby was really good at the beginning of the fall. Towards the back end, I think, is just their normal freshman deal. You know, got punched in the face a little bit over at Virginia. Had a five-run inning. Um, and then I think just had some uh, some negative thoughts throughout the rest of the fall. But he has he has qualities that you really like as a starting pitcher. You know, a guy that can really command his fastball, a really good slider, a developing changeup, and a developing cutter. You know, four pitch mix for a freshman that there's a lot of strikes. I mean, that's exciting. You know, and he's competitive and he, he does the little things right. And so he's a guy that you know you certainly envision in the future being in your rotation at some point. And so I I, I think he will definitely start games in whatever capacity. And then you know you got a guy like Eric Ritchie where if he can just be more consistent in the strike zone he has some of the best swing and miss stuff on our team you know um he struck out basically two guys in inning this year I made this fall and you know it's like he has been in the past too many freebies too many unforced errors but um that's a guy that you know whenever it does click for him uh he's gonna be a special special arm and so I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting as well so you have you have options there um and so there'll be good competition early in the spring to see who ends up there at the beginning of the year now of course uh, what dictates that? I mean, every, every game is so important throughout the, the course of the spring. The midweek games are important. Uh, the Sunday game is important against whoever, right? And so what it comes down to is we're going to do whatever we have to do to win the game in front of us. I was out at uh, the Purple Gold World Series, and Jacob Jenkins Cowart saw me in the outfield. He was like, hey, man, you got to watch Wyatt's stuff this year. It's, like, incredible. So, yeah. like, what, what has he made tweaks, or is it just – Experience that is added to his stuff, and he went out there. I think he struck out the side the yeah. in and after uh, after JC said that. So uh, he he seems to have made a leap. Yeah, well, uh, during the season, towards the back end of the season, his his arm slot actually climbed up, and so he's a he's a sinker ball guy. 
but he was throwing it from a higher slot, so the ball just it, it flattened out on him. And so going into the summer, it was like, hey, we've got to make an adjustment with this. We've got to get to the tilt of the fastball to where it needs to be so that you can get consistent sink. And he went out and he did it, right? And so he comes back here, and he's more of a low three-quarter slot guy, but the ball is sinking and running all over the place, and he's commanding it at a high level, and it makes a slider, which is a sweeper by, right. by everyone's terms, right? It made it way better like way better like an elite pitch um and it but it just made everything better the change-ups better the cutters better everything's better and he's just throwing strikes at such a high rate and all the velocity has stayed the same even with more movement it, it's actually climbed a little bit from what his standards are in the in the fall and so it, he's uh he's made those adjustments he stayed true to them he has not gotten away from it he has not deviated from it and he's been just really consistent with it chris kaler y'all saw him Pitched pretty well against you firsthand yeah. uh, last year. So how much did that play, too? As you went to the portal, you know that this guy has handled the environment well. Yeah. So that probably had to, to play a role in bringing him on board, right? Yeah. You know, when he hit the portal, I saw the name and, you know, I went back and looked at video from that first day. And I remember us just sitting in the dugout and being like, we can't, like, we're not, we're not getting to this guy's fastball. And you go and you look at the TrackMan numbers, and he's got elite carry on his fastball, and he's got elite pitch ability, and he's super competitive. And so immediately for me, I'm like, this is a guy I'd like to have, you know. Um, and so that that was kind of it, you know, watching him handle himself. He, he I don't know if it was, I, I want to beat East Carolina so bad, they're number 11 team in the country. He's kind of that way. He's kind of wired that way. And so seeing that competitive nature when he's out there and pitching against us in front of a big crowd on opening weekend, it's like, that's really good, you know. And so then I flew up to the Cape and I watched him pitch an outing in the Cape, and um, you know, it was just it was a really really good fit because I think he was like anything with when players come to our place and see our environment, and then they hit the portal, they're they're very intrigued by East Carolina. They want to be a part of that, you know. And so he got to see our place and see, see our team and see our fans. And he on his recruiting visits, he's talking about all the fans in right field just just uh, getting after him out there and, and talking crap the whole time, and, and that excited him, you know. And so um, it was just a really good fit with him, honestly. Yeah, he was telling me during our interview, he was like, "This is he's like one of the coolest things that ever happened to me is when they booed me or heckled me during yeah. that during that game, which, which is hilarious. Is, which is, is crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. like, who, who actually says that's one of the coolest things that's ever happened? To exactly. <laughs> well, this year at least they'll be on his side. Yeah, he said, sure. he said, I hope they'll be on my side, but I'm sure they will. <laughs> Uh, Dover Pirate on Hoist of Colors, he says, can you ask what the thought process going into this year to not overextend some of their best arms? Like he says, like Groves, you savage last year, maybe got a little tired down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, take us through that because I guess it's a little easier said than done because you're trying to win every game, but do you right. try to keep that in mind as well? Yeah, always. You're always thinking about those things. And I think, you know, with Groves and Trey, when Trey had his hiccup in the middle of the season last year, really everybody's roles expanded, you know, for three or four weeks because we were building Trey back in to be ready for the postseason. And so I think that that adds a lot of stress, of course, mentally, but physically as well, when you're having to move, you know, a Josh Groves off of a Sunday starter routine and put him on a Saturday or a Friday. Like, that's a day less rest, and that does take a toll over time. And so I think just early in the season, really, it starts in the fall, to 
be honest, it's like, hey, we have got to prepare for this. You guys know what it takes now. You know what the the impact is on the body and uh, the stress levels that come with that because you can't really replicate that much in a bullpen setting, you know, even in scrimmages. Whenever you have so much emotion-filled pitches that you're, you're delivering every day, it's something that you just got to train your body extremely hard. And then we have to be diligent in making sure that, number one, that you're prepared on the front end. And then when we get into the early parts of the season, that we're bringing you along the right way. You know, I think at, at times, probably early last year, we, yeah, we won some games where trade through seven and two thirds and through 108 pitches or whatever. But if I go back, would we have got him out in the seventh? I don't know. You know, because do we win that game if he doesn't throw 108 pitches? I don't know. It's not like we're throwing guys to 130, 140 pitches or anything like that. But I think it more comes with experience of, hey, this is what my body's going to feel like in April, May, and June. And I have got to prepare from that starting in August, you know, right. and, and getting your body as physically strong, as physically mobile, uh, the ability to bounce back and get the most out of your, your bullpens in the middle of the week. I think it's, it's a total, you know, a total uh, entire project of each person and what works best for them, you know. But I do think in the middle of the season last year, when Trey did have his hiccup and we took him out for basically one weekend, I think that that had that was really the the weekend of the first week of the year where we did not pitch well. You know, I think that that week and then the conference tournament were the two weeks where we didn't pitch well, and those are all basically based on roles expanding and less rest time and all those things. And so um, you see, obviously, the benefits of keeping guys on routines and keeping them very very structured. And uh, obviously, going in every year, you hope to do that. So no doubt, and some of it is just comes down to health and luck mm-hmm. a little bit too. It's yeah. uh, you know kind of flip of the coin at times. Uh, Dover also wants to know who is one player that we do not know yet that could have an impact on the season. Now, you could go in a lot of directions here, but is there one one or two guys that kind of stands out when you hear that question? Yeah, on the offensive side of the ball, um, Chaz Myers is one of our best hitters, in my opinion. Um, very, very disciplined approach uh, inside the ball. I've told Cliff this, but his swing setup reminds me a lot of uh, Connor Norby's. And not, I'm not saying he's going to hit 400 with 15 home runs, but he's tough to pitch to. You know, he's a, he's a guy that's inside the ball. He can hit the slider. He can hit the changeup. He can hit the fastball in. Doesn't strike out a lot. Has good plate discipline. Can drive the ball out of the yard. And so he's a guy you're excited about on the offensive side. Uh, from the pitching side of things, uh, I think we'll see. You know, I think that there's a, a number of newcomers that can that can help. I mean, obviously everyone knows about you know Norby and guys like that. But um, I'll let you know when we get to you know to February and see where these guys have because. Um, you know, freshman years and then being put into our program where so much is asked of you and you're working so hard every day. Uh, the, the, I tell all the freshmen that the, for your first fall is going to be arguably the most di- like just difficult three, four months of your entire life. Like, I mean that. And after that, it's smooth, like it's good, right? right? You gotta survive you, it. Yeah, you just got to survive that that freshman fall. And so, as guys get more comfortable and kind of dive into uh, who they are and, and start really forming their identities on the mound, um, I think you'll see big jumps with a lot of the kids. I think that there's a lot of them that can help us, you know, this year in the right roles. And so, um, there's enough talent there certainly. And so, I'm excited to see where they're at when they come back, and and I'll let you know. And hopefully at media day. Yeah, we got media day. It'll be here, I guess, mid January. We haven't gotten an official date yet. Uh, Straw369 wants to know, how does how, how do you go about crafting a new pitch for pitchers? He says, for example, your Savage's splitter. 
or Bill kind of throwing like Cole Moore did in his senior year or Spivey's cutter. So take us through that process. I'm sure it's a little bit different for each guy, but how those things come about? It is for sure. You know, um, Trey's splitter came because he couldn't throw a changeup. You know, and it's actually funny. So a lot of people think Trey throws a lot of splitters. He really doesn't. He throws probably 15, 20% right. splitters. His curveball has some wrong way movement to it. So it kind of, it has a ton of depth, but it moves to the opposite side. So it looks like a left-handed, like left-handed uh, curveball. Wow. And so like metrically, that's why that looks like a splitter. And people think it's a splitter, but it's not. It's actually his curveball, which that's is a crazy pitch. Though. Yeah. There's like, there's only a, a handful of guys in the major leagues that can do that. I think of uh, Karen Check, who was with the Guardians mm-hmm. for a long time. He was a guy that could really do that. And so um, he actually, Actually, did not throw that many splitters last year. Now it's gotten really good. Like right. <laughs> splitters gotten good. I think he's going to use it more this year, and you can see him using it to both right-handers and left-handers this year. Um, but as far as crafting a new pitch or a new identity or a different slot or whatever it might be, I think you you start off by just assessing where we're at. And so, like every guy, the process when they get here is that we're going to assess. We're going to put them on track, man. We're going to get them all video and everything that we possibly have, and assess what their fastball does to start with. Is it a fastball that has a lot of carry to it? Is it a sinker or does it need to be a sinker um, and start there? And then you build the repertoire around that. You know, if it's a guy who has a uh, fastball with a ton of carry that you're going to pitch at the top of the zone, ideally you would like a depthy curveball to go with it, which we like it to still be, you know, maintain velocity and be hard. And then after that, you know, you're trying to create a, a change up or whatever that goes the opposite way with some depth and then a hard slider cutter. That's ideally what you're looking for. Now, you have to do two before you do four. You have to do three before you do four, right? And so it's what, what can you execute, what what works for you, and how can we make your repertoire better, right? And so when you get to that point where you feel like you have two to three pitches that are really consistent that you can throw into the strike zone at any point, like I'm a tinkerer. I like to get up there and like we'll experiment and see what works. And like there's no judgment on either side of it at this point. It's like let's if it's a bad pitch, who cares? You're not throwing it in game right now. And so let's see if we can find something that clicks. And if not, you still have three pitches. But if you add a fourth and it becomes a, a weapon for you, then then we're in business. And so you know, it's, it's working through a bunch of different grips and getting them to throw it and find what's comfortable for them and, and teaching them the right uh, thought process and maybe cues and, and mental side of, of what they need to do to execute this pitch at a higher level. And then usually over time, you know, you do something a, a lot and it becomes something for you, you know. And so um, it really starts there, but but it, it starts with what their fastball is doing and what makes sense with the rest of their repertoire, to be honest. And then uh, what can we do to, to honestly release pressure from your fastball or from your slider or your most used secondary pitch and uh, kind of bridge the velocity gap from, you know, if you're throwing a slider at 80 and a fastball at 92, well, let's get something in the middle there, right? And then let's have it go in a different way than everything else. So um, that's kind of how it starts and, and it's been successful. Um, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you every single time I do it, it works out perfectly. You know, sometimes... I was going to say, do you ever have a pitcher to go out and try a new one and just get bashed around and scrimmage? Well, like, All right, let's not, scrap not it. really because yeah. we have repped it out so right. much before I'm, I'm comfortable throwing it or calling it or them I mean some guys will want to throw it as soon as they get out right. there and I'm like hey it's not ready just just give it a second mm-hmm. but you know I think about uh, some guys like you know Spivey came back and his cutter he, he started playing with a cutter at the end of the summer before the year he was all American and he was throwing in the bullpen I was like 
that's pretty good. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's, that's pretty good. And it's like, we're going to use that a lot. And then, uh, you know, Wyatt launched for Chinkman. We were actually just messing around with, with, uh, sinker ups, two sinker ups. And he throws one, he cuts it. I'm like, there's your cutter. So let's just run with that and right. see if we can start cutting that, cutting that. And so every guy's story is different. You know, Danny Bill, honestly, Danny Bills came because he was just unsuccessful. You know, I think mm-hmm. pretty similar to Cam Colmore, to be honest with right. you, was just, you know, kind of a generic right hander. And we needed to add some flavor and some uniqueness to his game. And um, he had kind of, he had, had a b- bad fall and we approached him with it and he took it running and worked it really, really hard. And um, now you, you never knew that he didn't, you know, always throw that way. How so. many pitches does Danny Bill actually have? Because there's a conspiracy if he's got like seven or eight. I don't know if he has. At least six, maybe seven. Okay. Yeah. And so I, it's, it's kind of funny. He has pitches that we don't necessarily use all the time. Right. So over the top, he throws a two-seamer and a four-seamer. He throws a slider that with some depth, and then he has a changeup over the top. Underneath, he's two-seam only, and then uh, throws a slider – and he has a changeup. We don't actually use it from underneath, but he throws it from underneath so that he can continue to have feel for turning the baseball over so that his changeup over the top is better. Gotcha. Well, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's the breakdown, Danny Bill scouting report. So looking forward to seeing Danny pitches here. All right, let's get another break in. We'll come back. We'll continue to answer these questions and more on the other side with pitching coach Austin Knight. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday. Pitching coach Austin Knight is in studio. Great baseball discussion. Coach, we've got a lot of questions to get to, including somebody wants to know, can you beatbox? You know... (laughs) Probably my younger days, yeah. but Coach Lartigue and I are, are fairly committed to uh, to starting a Creed cover band. Okay, we're really on it right now, and so just stay tuned to that. We may be playing weddings here soon, so all right. So, you know. so no beatboxing, but maybe some Creed to cover. Yeah, we're we're musical beings. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Creed helped the Rangers win the that's, World Series. That's the point. So that's Jack, the point. And as a Seattle Mariners fan, I hate success that. success leaves clues. But hey, yep. Creed Creed <laughs> equals championships. You heard it here first. Um, all right, so there's also a lot of discussion or at least questions about kind of pitching labs and technology, which we could do like a whole show or series of podcasts on this stuff. Yeah. But uh, somebody on Hoist the Colors kind of wants to know like ECU's process as far as, you know, at what point can you guys kind of get a real pitching lab? He references Wake Forest and the amount of technology there. They just had a huge year, of course, uh, they also had a ton of talent, but they have developed some pitching. They they utilize that lab a lot. There's a lot of stories about that. So what do you know first off about Wake Forest, and then what do you guys – what are you all able to take advantage of as far as technology from a pitching lab perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, they've done an excellent job, of course, of – of uh, creating that place and creating some really, some really, really good arms. You know, um, I think when you talk about the labs, um, from their perspective, you know, they have a whole team that's kind of running that behind the scenes, uh, which is, which is uh, kind of how it's got to go. If you're going to have that sort of technology and and those type of things, you got to have 
more than just the pitching coach and the player development guy running all of it. Just because if if, if that's all you're concerned about, then you know you're probably not going to be good at holding runners and yeah. and, and doing PFDs and, and executing and, and different things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of technology out there, and the good news is you can kind of pick and choose what you want. And so um, you know they, they have all the electronic cameras, they have TrackMan, they have uh, a biomechanics motion capture uh, system that they use. Um, and so do we. We have things as well. You know, like we have TrackMan. We obviously have a great space for our pitchers to work in every single day um, to do everything that they need to they they need to do on a daily basis. We have TrackMan, which is the ball flight uh, system that tracks all the data. Um, we have plenty of video systems that we have. We have a uh, a biomechanics analyzer that is not you know some of these cost like one hundred and hundred fifty thousand dollars to use. We don't use that. We have an uplift one that is done. It's called Uplift Labs, and you can do it on mobile devices. You can do it on whatever you like, and it breaks down all the details of you know your torso velocity, your your uh, pelvis velocity, uh, the way that you're sequencing, all this stuff that I think you need to uh, kind of slow things down and, and see things out on a better view. Um, and so myself and our player development uh, – guy heath blackman kind of break that down on a daily basis and it's been really really beneficial you know it's taking some things that you wouldn't see necessarily to the naked eye and you know like a guy like trey savage where we're looking at it and he's honestly sequencing the wrong way you would never know that but he's throwing the ball 95 miles an hour but he's actually doing some things wrong and so um i said wrong is probably not the right word but some things that will keep him healthy Mm -hmm. at a healthier rate and so we dove into that and He's been very diligent about the work that we've put in, and and uh, we're seeing benefits of it. Of course, he's going to be more healthy. He's he's getting sore in the right places, but his, his stuff's also getting better as well. You know, and so I think it's all relative um, to what you need, the support that you have, and uh, you know, we're continuing to try to up upgrade that pitching indoor as often as we possibly can. You know, like we, I'd like to get force plates in there. I'd like to have the edutronic cameras in there. But the reality is also we're not going to throw bullpens in there every single day. Every single time because we have to throw outside in games you know and so it's the mixing of all the data and all the technology and all the you have to blend all of it together make it very uh feasible for your players to understand what you're looking at right and not cloud their minds from what's important which is getting outs on the field and so i think uh there's benefits to both sides of it man and it's good to have the information but you have to be able to use it in the right ways i was gonna ask like it's almost like it it can become information overload and you can think too much if you you again there's a a pathway for it a lot of major league teams use that technology but you gotta have you gotta you gotta approach it the right way you can't just go all in on technology and not you know, really understand what it means. Either. Yeah, it's important that the coaches know their players, right? Like have the relationships with the players and understand what is going to help one guy may hurt the other guy. And some guys don't want to know any of the information. They don't want to know any of it. And I'm not going to you know shove it down their throats and make them understand like all these things. Okay, well, we'll implicitly build in programs that will make you better at X, Y, and Z. And right. you don't have to worry about it. And then some guys want to see it on paper, and they want to know exactly what they're doing wrong, and they want to have video all the time, and that's fine too. It doesn't really matter, right? As a teacher or as a coach, your job is to best affect them in the way that's going to make them better. It's going to make them benefit in the long run. And so you have to understand you got to wear many hats that, hey, talking to one guy and showing them this isn't going to necessarily help this guy, right? But there's different ways to reach them. And so I think uh, the, the, the number one thing will always be the relationships that coaches have with the players and the relationships that the players have with each other and how we can best get the best product out of each guy 
on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, on a four-year basis, whatever it is, right? And so that's the thing that, you know, when you talk about these professional programs and, 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 and they have all the data and, and some guys use the same stuff that we, we use right now. Um, that's honestly where we get a lot of our stuff right. is through professional baseball. Um, but they have someone at the forefront that can act uh, that can effectively communicate to the to the players what they are doing, what they need to do better, and how they're going to do it better. Scott, who helps us out on our podcast on Hoist the Colors, he says, uh, "What are your thoughts on pitch tunneling, and is that something he teaches to our pitchers? Is that something you kind of work on as well?" Yeah, I think that um, we kind of went into that process earlier a little bit mm-hmm. as far as tunneling. Now we will we will sequence bullpens in a manner that makes sense to tunneling pitches off of one another, but it starts with building a repertoire that makes sense with right. what your fastball is or what your most used pitch is going to be, whether it's a fastball, a slider, or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, so, a lot of you see it in Major League Baseball. I mean, some guys go out there and just rip sliders every single pitch, right? right? And so usages of sliders and all speed pitches have gone way up, and they have for us as well. Um, just because last year we had a, a team full of guys who had good sliders, and so obviously we're going to use them a lot um so it makes sense with your most utilized pitch to understand all right well my fastball needs to be doing this maybe it's a east east west approach right and we're just trying to start the ball middle and and fastball's gonna end up over here and slider's gonna end up over here and then change up will end up down you know what i mean and so it's getting guys to understand what their identity is how they're going to get hitters out and like most pitchers like they wanted those seven different pitches and they want to do x y and z and i'm like i just tell them go watch a major league game Let's go watch a major two league. Two to three game, pitches man. all it takes. Two to three pitches. They execute it mm-hmm. at will. They tunnel off of each other. They start in the same places. And they're it's really good stuff. You know what I mean? And so let's be really good at a few things before we start adding in a bunch of different things. But we will I mean, we will practice tunneling per se in uh in bullpens. You know, all right, well let's elevate the fastball, let's go curveball down for a two strike pitch after that. You know, you go fastball in, maybe cease west, go the slider off of that, start at the same location, end it here. You know what I mean? And so those are things we're always working on sequencing in bullpens and execution. And so um yeah, I mean we, we definitely talk about it, we definitely work on it, and um and, and yeah. Last year, he says the sweeper was all the rage. Yeah. We've talked about it a few times already in this show. Are you working with anyone to add that to the repertoire? And if you could, you know, what's the difference between a sweeper and a slider slur? Like, what, you know, is it all kind of the same in a way? What's yeah, the technical well, difference? Just, it's, it's really that there's just different variations of sliders. And so right. a sweeper is a slider, but it's more of a horizontal pitch, right? And so the idea with a horizontal pitch with a sweeper, you're trying to keep the vert, the vert of the pitch, so it going up or down. You're trying to keep it basically at zero and just make the pitch just go totally horizontal. Right. And so it makes sense for a a pitcher who throws from a low three-quarter slot to throw a sweeper, right? Whereas Trey Savage, if I try to teach him a sweeper, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so we have several guys, and there is a specific way to teach that pitch. You know, um, there's there's different elements. There's different seam orientations. The whole point of the sweeper was that you're using seam shift awake, which is a big scientific word, to basically disrupt the airflow around the baseball. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Uh, disrupt the airflow around the baseball to create more movement on the baseball than is perceived to the hitter. So they are expecting this pitch to move an X amount, but it actually is moving more. And so we actually took the grip that the New York Yankees used, and I was part of you know experimenting with some guys last year. And so like Wyatt Lunsford Sheikman throws it. It's basically an offset two-seamer, and you're basically trying to throw a sideways curveball. 
you know, basically, but right. you're trying to throw it hard. Yeah. And so that in turn ends up creating a lot more horizontal movement than a normal, what they would call a gyro slider, which is essentially what Trey Savage's cutter is. And gotcha. so, um, but yeah, White Lunch for Shinkman throws a sweeper, Spivey threw a sweeper last year. Uh, so he's like, you know, cutter, sweeper, fastball mix in that order, basically. Um, who else? Jaden Winter throws a sweeper. I, I got we got a lot of guys on our right. team that throw them because okay. it makes sense with their with their slot. But yeah, you know, I, I think uh, people are working to be innovative, which you just want to stay up on the trends and try to help your players to 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 be prepared for when they get into professional baseball because that's what they're going to teach them. You know, he is awesome tonight. Let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. We'll try to get as many of these questions in as possible. We'll go rapid fire. This is Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Climb aboard as we set sail and hoist the colors. Back to the show with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the colors. Final segment here. Pitching coach Austin Knight in studio. This has been an awesome hour of baseball content. The season will be here before we know it, mid-February, as we sit here about around two months away in mid-December. All right, let's. right, we'll try to get to as many of these questions as possible. Jonathan Wagner he says he's got to ask about his Pinecrest guys, and he wants to know how has Colby Wallace looked on the mound, and could he have a legitimate role there as a freshman? Yeah, Colby's a stud. Um, uh, in the fall, we worked him out a ton at third base, and so as with anything, it's hard to navigate as a freshman being a two-way and throwing right. a ball across the infield. So we didn't pitch a ton in the fall, but we did work with him uh, you know, outside of practices and then, of course, after fall uh, practice. And he's got a big future, man. He's a really talented player. I mean, he's low 90s on the mound, has feel for a good breaking ball, a good cutter, change-ups developing, throws a lot of strikes. Um, yeah, so I think he could end up having a role certainly this year um, and definitely in the future. And somebody asked how many two-way guys do you I have would he be the only one or could there oh, be no. another oh no or one. no so he'd be the one yeah he's he's the guy he's okay yeah uh do you have any favorite baseball podcasts scott wants to know yeah that's a good question and so i don't necessarily just like lean on like one baseball mm-hmm. podcast i more so try to listen to people and so if somebody's on my mind or somebody that I read a quote on or whatever, then I'll get on, uh, you know, your Apple podcast and just like search their name and listen right. to whatever they talk about. And so really just looking for innovative people who think differently and think the game and are good baseball people. Like that's what I'm looking for. And you try to listen to a couple of those a week. Um, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of really good podcasts out there that of, of guys who do an awesome job and, and get great guests. And so uh, I wouldn't say there's just one podcast to listen to, but if you just search, you know, whoever, you search right. whoever on there, and you'll find uh, a bunch of different options, and then go with the one that you feel is best uh, suited for what you're looking for on that day. And sometimes that's what I'm looking for is more topic related than it even is people. And so, right, makes sense. Uh, do you? Uh, he wants to know if you could build a perfect pitcher. What four pitches will they have? Uh, it depends on uh, what I'm obsessed with that week. Honestly, if it's you know if it's uh, hard sliders and. And uh, you carry fastballs. I mean, you, you talk like anything. It's like you got a good four-seamer, throw it in the mid-90s and command it really well. Then you want a top-bottom breaking ball that's hard as well and has nasty bite to it. And, uh, you know, a, a hard cutter slider that's 90 miles an hour and then change up to go with it. I think we're in business. You know, you have all that. You know, Yeah, good. you're in business. I mean, you think about, you know, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and guys like that. I mean, just put those guys on the, on the, on the right. banner for exactly what you want. So... Uh, Bleeds Purple Gold wants to know what are your opinions on catchers showing gloves late to help frame pitches or showing them earlier to show a clear target for pitcher? He says he's read some stuff recently that some are going back to showing gloves earlier. 
Do you have an opinion on that as a former catcher, pitching coach? I now? just think it depends on the pitcher. Um, I, a lot of a lot of pitchers are not even really taught to look at the mitt anymore. They're more taught to look, to look at where you want to start your pitch, and so that could be an umpire's mask, it could be a catcher's ma- uh, mask, it can be a left shoulder or whatever. And so um, I think it, it just depends on the pitcher, right? Um, but the most important thing is just to be consistent with it, right? Don't don't do one thing one time and then another thing another time, and just be consistent so that the pitcher knows what you're doing. All right, last question. This is my favorite one. Favorite uniform combination? I like the gold with the camo hats because that means we're going for oh, a sweep. Gosh. Yeah, that's that's Don't pretty get me much. Don't on the camo hats. So I'm not a fan. I, well, I, I understand the meaning though. I I love them. I <laughs> right. love them because it means that we're going for a sweep and that we're having a successful weekend and we're winning a lot. So I will I will wear those anytime. <laughs> what about the uh, powder purples? Powder purples. I like them because the recruits like them. There you go. That's all that matters. All right, Austin, this has been awesome, man. We'll get you back on at some point. I don't know. You got, yeah. you got, uh, you got to take off for Christmas and then media day and then the season, but we really appreciate it, man. It's been yeah, fun. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate everything that you're doing for sports here appreciate in East Carolina that. as well, dude. You do an awesome job. Well, I appreciate that, awesome man. This has been great. We got a lot of good feedback from the thread, so we will – have fun with uh, Jeff Palumbo too next week. So ECU baseball will be here before we know it. All right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow at 12 noon. This is Hoist the Colors. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.